Hello and welcome back to Parallel Passion. Before we begin, I'd like to sincerely thank everyone who supports this show on Patreon. If you wish to join those awesome people, go to patreon.com slash or follow the link in the show notes. Today I'm joined by Ben Ornstein. You might know him from the giant robots podcast he used to host or the art of product he hosts now. I saw him speak at RailsCov 2013 at what remains one of my favorite talks of all times. Then I started following him more closely and I became a huge fan. So when an opportunity presented to have him on the show, I jumped on it immediately. Ben has many hobbies, ranging from choir singing to rock climbing, and I try to touch on them all, so let's get right to it. Hi Ben, welcome to Parallel Passion. Thanks very much, I'm psyched to be here. Um, why don't you start by telling uh, who you are? Um, yeah, so I'm just this guy on the internet. <laughs> and uh, I'm a developer, and I guess now I'm technically also an entrepreneur. Uh, I spent a lo- most of my career writing code, and just recently I quit my job to start a software company with uh, two co-founders. Did you, did you quit uh, ThoughtBot, or was there um, uh, a company in, in the middle? There were like, so there were two things in the middle. So I, I worked at ThoughtBot for six years, which was amazing, great place to work. And I decided I wanted to go off and try my own thing. And I didn't know quite what I wanted to do yet, but I decided to just sort of quit and then figure it out. So I spent about a year uh, working on things on, by myself. Mm-hmm. And most notably, I launched a course called Refactoring Rails mm-hmm. about um, dealing with larger Rails applications. And that went well. It, it was sort of a commercial success, but I was very unhappy. I didn't like working solo at all. And so I was like, okay, I need to get a job like right now. Uh, I, I, st- I don't know quite what I want to do yet, but l- let me just get a job and figure things out like while I have a job. <laughs> what, what was the, the thing that you missed most working solo? Was it like o- other people or was it just working by yourself? Like what was it? Yeah, it, it was other people. Like I enjoy collaborating with folks and I'm, I'm very extroverted. Like I want to go into an office and have people there that I'm friends with and have people to go to lunch with and all that. Like I just way happier in that sort of scenario. Yeah, this is interesting because the the tool you're working on, uh, called Tuple, right, mm-hmm. um, is is mainly aimed at like remote uh, pairing and remote collaboration. That's right. And as far as I know, yeah, like you said, you're mainly an office worker. Mm-hmm. I even found like uh, one uh, GitHub answer of yours where you said that like remote work, you don't really see yourself doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a bit ironic. I'm making a tool that will I, I think will mostly be used by remote developers, uh, but I'm not one myself. And but it it kind of makes sense in a way where Tuple hopefully Tuple is a tool for remote pair programming. So if you are a remote developer, one of the things you miss out on, I think, that's most valuable is getting to sit next to your coworkers and work, write code with them. Mm-hmm. And so our goal with the app is to make it feel like you are sitting right next to them writing code. And and you guys are working together or on this, or or are you using Tuple to collaborate? Uh, we mostly work in the same office. Um, but we do all live in different places. And so um, when we're working from home, we, we, we boot the app up and try it out. We dog food it. Mm-hmm. So um, what made you decide to, to work on Tuple? So I kept having this experience where I would ask friends of mine what they were doing uh, now that Screen Hero had gotten shut down. So Screen Hero was a great app uh, for this this purpose. And Slack bought them and ostensibly rolled their app into their client but not really yeah we had one of their uh, original developers on uh, i think episode 10 was like dan goodman oh nice yeah oh cool that's awesome it basically was like there was this great app that solved this problem 
And then it kind of got shut down, and there was no mm-hmm. alternative. And I, I, I literally kept asking people, and they didn't have a good answer. And I would Google it, and all I would find is like Twitter threads or Hacker News threads being like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't have a good answer to this now that it's gone. <laughs> and eventually, I was just kind of like, well, it kind of feels like the world and the market is telling me like, this should be a thing that exists. Yeah. And, and then you said, okay, let's do it. Or like, how did you find your uh, co-founders, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. So one one of them I had known for a long time. So uh, well, I imagine we'll get into some of this, but my side passion is singing. And so I had sung with one of my co-founders uh, for about five or six years. Oh, interesting. Um, so just by kind of chance, he happened to also be a developer and had also, um, his situation was he had uh, worked on a startup. He started a startup and sold it to a larger company and had finished his earnout. Uh, more or less, and was uh, kind of getting bored. <laughs> and so he and I would meet up every couple of weeks and just talk about like different business ideas I had, like trying to find one that sounded promising enough to actually like quit our jobs and go start it. And uh, in the end, Tuple was the one that we we latched onto. And then the the our our, our third co-founder uh, was someone that uh, that 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 first person, my singing friend, had hired at his startup. That he, he had started. Ah, okay. Did you work with these guys before or did you just know them from the choir? Yeah, I just knew them through that. I'd never worked with them before. Um, but we had spent enough time together that I, I felt confident uh, that we, would, we wouldn't have any like, surprising things. Mm-hmm. And, and since you brought it up, now, now we have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, how, did you, how did you start singing? Like, what, what got you into this? Mm. And uh, uh, I guess conducting as well. I don't know, I, maybe you... Yeah, there's a like a, a wider music uh, background here. Yeah, music is my my oldest hobby, like my longest. It's the thing I've done the longest for sure, um, even more than programming. So I I was raised in a musical family. My mom's father was a singer, and he had four daughters, and they all sang growing up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when my mom had kids, uh, we just sang in the house, and like we would sing acapella Christmas carols uh, at Christmas, and just music was always kind of around. And um, so when I was pretty young, probably six or seven, my mom uh, encouraged me to go join a, a, like a kid's choir nearby. And that was like my first organized singing. And I really liked it. And I basically have been in some sort of ensemble since then. I, I went uh, Googling for you, like checking the, the choir, and I found like you, you sang in front of a stadium, like the, the four of you. Yeah. Um, did, was it like multiple occasions or just one when you have this many people? listen to you um it's been twice now i've had two kind of like crazy uh gigs where the audience was pretty huge um one was the the video you saw which is at fenway park in boston uh where i sang with my barbershop quartet which is one of the ensembles i sing with now Mm -hmm. um and then just recently uh, i had a gig in the boston garden uh which is where the celtics play uh and uh, i sang uh backup for josh groban oh wow that's that's pretty big So, but so that that's that sounds like I'm like a huge like a big deal singer, <laughs> but those are like the biggest gigs in a 30 year music career. So uh, don't extrapolate too much from those. Most of them, I'm singing at like a retirement home for like 40 people over 75. Yeah, um, or or like a, a rails conf, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> because this is like background story. This is where I um, I don't know if I first saw you there maybe i knew about you before like my my memory is hazy because this is like more than five years ago Mm -hmm. but i remember uh being on your talk at railsconf Mm -hmm. and like we sang i think we sang happy birthday uh to to someone right that's right yeah and uh (laughs) just like you gave some tips and it was amazing like the whole the 
whole audience sang like really really loud and really deep yeah it was um it was something else <laughs> that was an amazing experience yeah i so that was part of a talk i gave on how to give good talks and i decided that the format i wanted to do for it would be um short five minute lightning talks and so i would give a lightning talk uh with a certain angle and then i would talk about how i did that lightning talk and what i think made it good and i was like i really i need a really good finale here to like really make this talk special <laughs> and at the time i was um, an assistant director of a chorus nearby and i was like i wonder if i could get all these people to sing and teach them how to sing like teach them something way outside their normal comfort zone and so i i did end up with that so like we sang happy birthday and i was like okay let's just do happy birthday and i sort of no prep no instruction and i was like okay there's our baseline and then i just gave four or five tips of like here's some here's how to sing here's the very basics of it do you still remember them um the biggest one is um using your radio announcer voice mm -hmm. is how i like to describe it <laughs> so if you're just talking like normal you have a certain amount of resonance and if you sing like you talk it sounds okay but if you open up in the back of your like lift it's called lifting your soft palate and think about a radio announcer and you sing with this kind of space it's way more resonant <laughs> it's a very different kind of thing yeah uh, and so that's that makes the biggest difference of, of all the tips yeah and it's especially dramatic when there's i don't know what 200 300 people i don't even know how many yeah there were there were a few hundred people there and it, it, it sounded pretty amazing and you can actually go hear it and see the other tips if you want it's still on youtube um it's called how to talk to developers and i think it's like i get more people mentioning that talk like saying they found me through that video or that they were in that talk than basically anything i've ever done is it the one and only time you did this talk or did you do it in variations before i did it just yeah no i did it just once because it, it went so well and it felt so special that i was like <laughs> i can't i feel like i can't do this again like i don't want to have this like do it again and have it not be as good I, it's, it's perfect in my memory i don't i never want to touch it again yeah you can't top it <laughs> as always with big conferences which is what i don't like most about big conferences is like there are too many tracks you don't know where to go and you're like statistically you're probably gonna miss the best talk right. yeah. uh, but but somehow i managed to be on this one and i just like yeah I, i think it's like one of the top talks i i not just from railscope but like in general thank you very much that's great to hear no and, and and i'm serious like everything all the topics plus the way you delivered it plus there are so much good content in there and um it's it's actually how we came in touch for for this podcast as well because oh, nice. i was doing a, a variation of this just recently mm. um where they, where they asked me to speak and i didn't have any any big topic prepared so i just did like a string of lightning talks mm, nice yeah so your talk was a big inspiration for that that's awesome and this this touches on something that i i tell people a lot that i think is important which is um conference talks can help your career Uh, in a way that other things can't like it, it's had I've, i would say speaking at conferences have had an outsized impact on my career mm -hmm. and particularly the ones that record talks are worth targeting because there were i don't know 300 people in the room that day that saw it but then since then it's got i don't know 50,000 views or something and it's like it's it's formed people's opinions of me it's affected their opinions of me and probably will continue to do so for years and like this this single talk i gave has just been paying off over and over and over again over the years and so it's worth trying to accumulate assets like that for yourself because there is a lot of time that goes into preparing a talk if you want to give a good talk so you like on the surface it might seem like a not that good return on investment uh but i guess like yeah if it's recorded and if if it's good that's a big if right right <laughs> if it's if it's good then yeah it can uh it can open many doors for sure mm -hmm. yeah and the good news is 
the bad talks just kind of fade into the background and the good talks get shared and watched a lot. That's true. So give a bunch of talks. At, like most of my talks are not uh, well known or have not you know done a lot for me. There's just a handful that were standouts that have provided all the value. But no one's ever like, hey, I watched a video of this talk you gave at a conference in uh, some random city and uh, it wasn't very good, so now I don't like you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. It's like the YouTube algorithm, right? Like it wants to show you good things. So if you make something good, it gets a lot of attention. If not, then it just fades into the background and you don't need to worry about it. Yeah, um, something I wanted to ask before when I mentioned that football stadium. Did you did you get like a stage fright or something being in like in front of that many people? Um, not that much, oddly. So So a couple things. So one is I've been performing for so long that I tend to not get very nervous while performing. Mm -hmm. um, but so like I, in my mind, I'm not like, oh my God, what if we, what if we do terrible? Like I, what, if, what if this goes horribly wrong? Because it, 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 I've just done enough performances that I, uh, I don't worry about that these days. But there is still the um, physical sensations of nervousness that happen where like your breath gets kind of short and like you have like you have trouble taking a full deep breath and your body starts like shaking a little bit mm -hmm. and i have discovered a wonderful drug uh and it's called propranolol and it's okay yeah and it's uh it's like a super safe drug you take it in a very low dose uh, you can get your doctor will write your prescription because it has basically no side effects uh and it just it's called a beta blocker so it blocks your body's physical responses to nervousness And so it's not like, it doesn't make you um, dull. It doesn't dull your senses. It's not like having a drink. It's not like alcohol. It just makes it so that when you start to feel a little bit nervous, those physical feelings are much less. And so when I have a really big gig where I think I might have some of those physical sensations, I will do like 10 milligrams of that. And this is not medical advice, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it basically makes it so that like in my brain, I can feel like, oh, yeah. This is kind of uh, intense, and so I might be feeling some nervousness right now, but I just like the physical sensations are almost entirely gone, and it's pretty wonderful. To be fair, I, I, I don't perform into in like audiences that, of that size. Well, well if, you're, if you're giving a talk and you're super nervous about it, it can be a nice option, or like an interview. Mm -hmm. like it just, anytime you, you're worried about like how, how you're going to react physically, it, it helps a lot. Yeah, I, I think like when I'm giving the talk, uh, the first five minutes are just a mess and I'm a mess and everything's a mess. Mm -hmm. And then I get into it and then it's fine. And then like, then I feel it and then I can do whatever. Totally. But the first five minutes, like no matter, I'm, I'm always going to be a wreck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have some of that too. I, I, like after those five minutes are gone, I feel amazing. Yeah, but yeah. The, the first five are, are usually a little tough. Yeah, especially because like I, I also took one of your advice for um, you. You made us do like some stretches or something. I don't even remember. Mm -hmm. we, we did something, and I am um, I sort of by accident discovered uh, a similar thing that now I did <laughs> pretty much ever since is that uh, we do a Mexican wave before. So like the first thing I do is like the Mexican wave. And the good thing about this is that like whoever has a laptop on their lap has to put it down, right? Because yep. they have to stand. Love that. And at least I have them for the first five minutes. Mm -hmm. But the problem is those five, like those first minute or two, Uh, to ad in addition to all like the stress and everything, I'm also running up and down the stage. Mm -hmm. and, like, that's really, that doesn't help. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like doing some sort of weird thing for the first handful of minutes, partly because it wakes the audience up and because it gets their attention, mm -hmm. but also it's because it, like, it gives me time to settle into being on the stage. If nothing else, they have to put the laptops down. Yes. And at least, at least the first 
like five slides they will see right and you you might even have a chance of them listening to you <laughs> that's right that's all you can ask for <laughs> do you do you still speak at the conferences you know i haven't done it for a little while um it's something i would like to get back into but it's been a little bit part of it was that i uh stopped writing quite as much code and so before i had this like i would have a topic that i would get really passionate about like once a year or so I'd be like oh i'm really into refactoring right now mm-hmm. or vim or testing uh, and so like i would have like a a thing to submit to like technical conferences and then after a while i had a bit of a reputation so like when i would submit uh, i would j- tend to get in and so i had this like nice thing going for a period of time and then i moved over more into running software businesses and s- there are fewer businessy conferences it seems to me uh, and i have a little bit of a less and i had l- definitely much less of a reputation as being a good speaker over there so uh, I sort of fell off the circuit a little bit. Also, those conferences are probably very different from developer po- like conferences. Uh, for sure, yeah. I, I think developer conferences it's it's fine if you're just like entertaining and if it's you know the the type of st- talks that we now come to expect. Whereas most other conferences are much more serious and like business. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I would totally agree with that. Actually, yeah. Like I think yeah, like entertaining is so, so like. I think entertaining is really important. It is necessary, but not sufficient for a good talk. It's like you don't want to give a talk that's just entertaining. It's not stand-up comedy. Uh, you want to teach something, ideally. But like people at business conferences are still people. And so if you just like they want to get value from the talk, just like developers want to get value. Like developers probably want to learn some technical stuff. Mm-hmm. And business people probably want to learn something that's going to help their business. Uh, but both of them will not listen if they're bored. And so you have to be entertaining for both of them, for, for sure. No, yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. It's just that uh, I don't know if the organizers expect you to to be like funny, I guess. Well, I, I don't know. I, mm. I've only been to a couple of conferences that weren't uh, developer focused and yeah, they were boring. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, would, I would say that's like a bug, not a feature. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Is this like what the organizer w- organizers wanted, or is this just like yeah, uh, a bug? I would hope not. You know, mm. like bored people don't learn anything. That's the thing. Like if they tune out and just start like checking their email on their laptop, they may as well not be at the conference. Yeah, that's. I just, just sort of reminded me of one of the quotes I, from that exact talk that you did. Um, it's like it's more important to be uh, entertaining than informative. I think you said it's true. Yeah. Exactly. Oh man, that that talk has so many gold nuggets. It's, it's insane. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's 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 interesting. You were telling, you were saying earlier that like talks take a, a super long time to prepare, but it's worth it if they're recorded. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing about that talk, that that one at RailsConf that got so much attention, is that I prepped that talk the night before. <laughs> um, and the, but there's an important caveat there, which is so that the actual talk prep for me was probably like three to four hours. Um, but I had been thinking about that topic and giving talks for like two years at that point. And so like I had given so many talks and had like given other speakers feedback and had even like written part of a book on giving good talks. Mm -hmm. And so I had been steeped in this topic for so long (laughs) that when it came time to give the talk, I was just like, okay, what are the top four points? And I like immediately wrote them down and then I was like, okay, what's a good format? And like that came to, it just, just came together very quickly. So it's like a Netflix special. It's like best of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's, <laughs> I th- and I think all my best talks have been kind of like that. Like it's not, 
my worst talks have been when I was like, oh, I want to learn this topic. So let me submit a talk on that topic and then I'll go learn it and then write a talk about it. Those have not gone well. It's the ones where it's like, I'm super passionate about this. I've already synthesized a ton of information about it. Let me just like take that and turn that into a talk. And that usually comes together much better. Mm -hmm. Although if, if you do like the first kind of talk, you actually do learn a lot and, and it really forces you to learn. For sure. It's just, yeah, just my results have just not been quite as good on that one. It's <laughs> like, it's good for me, like, uh, like professionally, because I learned some stuff, mm. but just, I find the final product is not quite as good as, as the other stuff. You also, I guess, enjoy mentoring other people because you were, I, I don't know if you started it or if you were there when it started, like uh, Thoughtbot learned that later turned into Upcase. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is this something you, you enjoy doing? Like, do you mentor people? These days, I do a little bit of coaching, but not that much. But I always do enjoy, like, teaching and sharing what I know, which is, like, partly why I, like, podcast and uh, tweet and share stuff that way. Um, but I have, all, like, teaching is, is great. It's, like, a really interesting problem. So, like, for me, I love, um, I love programming, but I also love the things that are adjacent to programming. So, I have been obsessed with programming at ThoughtBot, uh, but I also found I really liked teaching Uh, like finding a way to turn a complicated programming topic into something that was understandable to people. And so I ended up making screencasts and courses and things like that at ThoughtBot uh, because it was programming plus something else. Mm -hmm. And I find that always like kind of tickles my brain in a nice way. I I also like helping other people, but I I don't know, sometimes I don't know where the, how to how to do it properly so they still remain interested and it's not just me giving them all the answers. So it's like the the balance between them still being curious and also not being frustrated. It, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that you struggle with that. Like teaching in general is very challenging. Like being a great teacher is a lifelong endeavor like being a great programmer, I think. It's not just something like just because you know a lot about a topic X Uh, you are not a good teacher at Topic X automatically. In fact, you can actually be quite terrible. Um, it's, it's definitely true. Yeah, you mentioned podcasting now. Um, there was, uh, I, again, I don't know the timeline. Was it before the RailsConf? Was it after? Um, there was this uh, giant robot smashing into other giant robots mm-hmm. podcast that, that you were on. Um, and uh, I, I really enjoyed listening to that. I think it was one of the first podcasts I was I was listening to. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I hosted that podcast at ThoughtBot. Like, so we, we hired someone at ThoughtBot who had previously um, done a lot of production and editing for another podcast. And he was like, how does ThoughtBot not have a podcast? And uh, Chad, our CEO, was like, yeah, you're right. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> and how come you became involved with that, with that? Just because you were a singer before and you had the voice? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it was actually kind of lucky or, or something. Like Ch- Chad just reached out to me and he was like, hey, like, uh, we're going to put together a podcast. Like, do you want to host it? And at first I was like, no, nah, I don't know. Like, I don't want to like worry about like scheduling guests and doing editing and all that stuff. He's like, no, 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 like just hosting. Like we're going to have someone else do that other stuff. And I was like, oh, so I just show up and talk to people? <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I'm into that. <laughs> and and I, I was very fortunate because that podcast, kind of like conference speaking, has had a huge impact on like my ability to build an audience and people who know me and all that because and this was a thing i didn't even realize but giant robots for years was an interview show where we would interview a guest each week mm-hmm. and so i ended up having like a 45 minute conversation with all these notable people in the ruby world and beyond and ended up building like at least a small relationship with most of them 
and that's a that's a handy thing it turns out i, I don't know why that didn't occur to me when i started it but like after a couple months i was like wait a minute this is going to be amazing for me how did i almost say no to this yeah no i i agree i have first-hand experience with that <laughs> mm-hmm. the secret is I, or like one of the, the the surprising things i think is it's very easy to come on a podcast as a guest it generally requires basically no preparation the time commitment is fairly limited uh it's uh flattering to be asked it's fun to be the guest because you just get to answer questions off the top of your head. And uh, it's, it's just very little work. And it's, it's good for you because it pr- promotes you to someone else's audience. So most people, even if they are quote unquote internet famous, will say yes to podcast appearances if you pitch them fairly well. And so it, you can get fairly like big name people on a podcast that doesn't even have that much listenership. Yeah, case in point. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, but it's true. And I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's... Um, as long as you show that you have like at least basic level of of um podcast that it's not just oh i i i don't know i'm just doing something i have no idea what i'm doing mm-hmm. as long as you have like basic level i think you can yeah then um approach pretty much everyone totally and yeah it is like if you get a website and a, some cover art it's like yeah and like for me like I, I say yes to basically every podcast invitation like i'm i just i like it it's fun it's good for me it's good for the, the podcast generally mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully you can do even better than me as a guest uh, there's there's way better people but you know <laughs> no 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 uh, like, I, I don't, love don't undersell yourself i mean come on <laughs> thank you now you do I, I wanted to mention that now you do a different podcast mm-hmm. um which is not an interview show uh you you do one like one-on-one right or sometimes you host uh, guests right mm-hmm yeah, so I host a, a new podcast. So I left ThoughtBot and uh, the, the Giant Robots podcast was their property. And so I, uh, I'm no longer hosting that. Someone else took it over. Uh, and so uh, I host a podcast now called The Art of Product with uh, my good friend Derek Reimer. And it's kind of like a public mastermind where each week Derek and I get together and we talk about what's going on in our businesses. So we're both starting startups right now. And we talk about um, what's going on, like what we're working on, what's working, what's not working. We talk a lot about um, our like mental struggles. Like, you know, I was, I was having a really rough day on Tuesday and here's why. Uh, and it's it's kind of like you're getting to listen in on a kind of just like a check-in between two friends and where we, we share a lot of details. Mm-hmm. And how come you decided to do this as a, as a podcast? Um, like the, the format you mean or the podcast in general? Yeah, so because like you said, it's like, on a, it's like a friend checkup. So inst- why did you decide to do it as a podcast instead of going like for a beer every other week or whatever? <laughs> um, because it's really, really useful to have a podcast. Uh, or more generally, it's really useful to have an audience of people who know what you're doing, uh, who feel like they have a relationship with you, who like and trust you. It's one of the most valuable assets you can create in your professional life. Uh, and so... I'm always or usually thinking like, how do I take what I'm doing and what I want to do already and turn it into something that other people get value from Mm -hmm. so that uh, these people know about me and one day I can maybe get some value back from them a little (laughs) bit. So there's a win-win hopefully. So like this podcast, like the podcast is where I announce the businesses I'm working on, the courses I'm building, uh, landing pages I put up. I ask for feedback from people and I just like, when I start a new thing, I can bring on a few hundred people right away. Uh, like I can at least get in front of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people uh, and because I have that audience already as opposed to starting from scratch every time. Mm-hmm. And it's also, um, 
interesting how when like i said when i started listening to podcasts it was you and i think ruby rogues which were like primarily interview podcasts mm -hmm. but then lately i'm more and more into into podcasts like that where you have like frequent um like the same people all the time mm -hmm. and you get to know them like personally and you feel yeah. like a personal connection even though you've never met them before totally yeah there's something special about audio i think about hearing people's voices uh, that that and also having a uh continuous story mm -hmm. that i think like makes brings people in a little bit more like we're just naturally so wired for stories like as humans i think we we like paying attention to them uh and and following along and so having the same people each week and recognizing their voices and knowing where they're at and seeing what the, the latest developments are i think just it just works it just it sucks people in the the flip side of that coin is that once you meet your listeners um, is it weird because they like know pretty much everything about you and you're like, who are you? No, it's, it's, it's interesting. Everyone thinks it is going to be weird for me. Yeah. Like every time I meet someone that listens to the podcast, they bring that up. They're like, I feel this <laughs> weird. Like I know all this stuff about you. And, it's, and I'm always like, no, it's, it's not weird at all. It's actually like I, I put that stuff out there because I want people to know it, first of all. So like it's, there's no like secrets in there that you have, I've let you in on that I, I just forgot about or something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also it's just like, it's kind of like a shortcut. It's just like people, it gives us, it lets us have a conversation at a deeper level than we could if we were actually strangers. Like they're like, Oh, like how did that thing end up turning out that you mentioned last week? And it's just, I think it's just all good. It's a, I think it's a normal impulse or at least it's a very common impulse to feel like that's going to be weird for the the podcast host, mm -hmm. but it's not, at least for me, it does not feel weird at all. Uh, I, although you're like, I do sometimes forget stuff I shared. And so I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I did talk about that. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's, that's fine. It's all good. What kind of podcast do you listen to mostly? I, I so I actually really like podcasts kind of like mine uh, to be a little narcissistic. <laughs> uh, I like podcasts with um, people who are sharing what they're doing, particularly in business right now. So I'm trying to make a company happen. And so hearing about other people trying to make companies happen are uh, is like particularly interesting to me. And I just like the format. I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting for all the reasons I've already said. Uh, so I listen to a podcast called Bootstrapped Web that I like a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I listen to uh, startups for the rest of us, and particularly uh, the, the first handful of minutes where they give sort of updates on their businesses. Um, I, I have two friends that put out a secret podcast that I can't share with you, but it's, <laughs> they don't like... They don't like attention so much. But they still started the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so they have like a secret podcast. Uh, <laughs> wow. But it's, it's fun for me because I get to hear my friends talking about what's what's going on with them. That's interesting. I, I didn't even know that kind of podcast exists. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I have to listen to all the episodes because otherwise uh, they'll, their download numbers will go down by, you know, one twelfth. <laughs> Noticeable number, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Once I heard you uh, mention, like, speaking of stuff that I know about you, um, that you uh, struggled with uh, RSI. Um, do you mm. do you still have those symptoms, or are you uh, like fighting it successfully? Uh, I am fighting it successfully. Uh, I mostly don't have any of that now. And what I've found for me is a couple things have helped a bunch. Mm -hmm. One is switching to a vertical mouse, so one that I don't have to like. Uh, turn my hand over but i can kind of keep it at a neutral with like my thumb pointed up in the air and if you just search vertical mouse there's there's a, a few of them uh, also i use a kinesis advantage keyboard which i like very much which keeps my hands in very good positions and it puts the modifier keys like um even to backspace and control and command and all this stuff are all in your thumbs which are nice strong fingers um and but the, the two big things were uh not playing too many video games <laughs> so like I can, be, I can program all day or I can play video games. 
and if i do both it starts to add up like i can't i can't like a uh, buffer that much damage to my to my hands uh so like when it when i start to feel those symptoms creep in i cut out the video games mm-hmm. um because it's those are the less important things um and then also i started rock climbing uh which uh does it causes to say the least a lot of blood flow <laughs> to like my wrists and hands and fingers and forearms and all that and that seems to help a lot how did you how did you start with with that with rock climbing like um was it um strictly because of rsi did someone tell you that this will help or did you just by accident came across come across it um it was sort of simultaneous actually someone mentioned this that it would be good and i had been thinking about it anyway so i was like well let's try it out and then i did and uh i like it a lot and do you do it like indoors or do you go like um yeah i've only done indoors so far there's a, a really nice gym that's pretty close to where we work uh the tuple office and so actually we go as a company a few times a week we'll just like around noon bike over to the gym and mm. climb for a little while which is awesome it's it's interesting i feel like it's an investment where it's like we all are getting exercise so we all feel better and our brains are more activated so we work better it's also um uh kind of collaborative or like it's it, it's like a it's like a trust building exercise mm-hmm. at least at first in particular because someone is belaying you like someone is on the ground making sure that if you fall off the wall you don't die <laughs> and so it's like uh, you have that trust fall exercise every day or every time you do it which is kind of nice too so how come you didn't go outside on the on the real rocks um we <clears throat> we may at some point uh i've one of us have have tried it uh the other two have not uh we'll see like it's uh, i'm pretty happy on with the indoors like it's, mm-hmm. it's an artificial version but it's kind of like a it's like a perfect version where it's like the holds are clearly defined and there's no dirt or like animals or things <laughs> that break off when you hold on to them or rocks that fall off the top of the thing and hit you in the head and kill you uh this so it's it's sort of a it's a more safe stable kind of <laughs> version of climbing uh, I, i'm interested in trying outdoors but it's just it doesn't appeal that much to be totally honest What was the most surprising thing for you when like they taking on rock climbing? Um <clears throat> there were kind of two things. One is that I was really afraid of it at first. So just climbing up, getting that high, I just like having the confidence that the 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 belaying system works is takes a little while for your brain to accept, at least it did for me. Mm-hmm. So I would get like halfway up the wall and be like I got to come down. This is too much. Because like, I just had these like <clears throat> these images in my head of like something snapping or breaking and me falling to my death. <laughs> and uh it was just really scary at first was it just like are you in general afraid of heights or was it specific to rock climbing not really yeah not not in particular uh but like if you try it i think you'll experience this like once you're 30 feet off the ground like once you get to the height where your brain is like if we fall we will die um, <laughs> it's hard to fight that like very deep preservation instinct because there's this like rational part that's like no no there's a safety system like it's okay but your brain's like no 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 if we fall we will die and so you have to have enough exposure to eventually convince your brain like okay it works it's it's safe like no one's people aren't dying around me i'm not going to die it's okay yeah for me i since you brought this up and i guess it's slightly related when i watch those youtube clips of people on top of buildings like construction site or something yeah. and they're running there and doing i don't know what like i just watching that i my heart rate elevates and i'm scared yeah. just watching those people that's crazy yeah Yeah, those videos are nuts. <laughs> the other thing that was interesting to me about climbing uh, was in the beginning or towards the beginning, I thought I didn't like it because I wasn't naturally very good at it. Mm-hmm. So I am I'm, I'm tall uh, and I'm not a small person. 
And so like climbing, the body, the ideal climbing like body type is kind of like very long limbs and very low body weight. So you want to have a long reach, but then like be really light. Mm-hmm. And that's not quite how I'm shaped. And so I was climbing with two people who were both more uh, probably naturally uh, gifted at climbing. And so they were progressing faster than I was. And I was like frustrated by that. And my brain kind of irrationally turned that into, I don't like climbing. <laughs> and what it was was like, I don't like the feeling that I'm not good at this. Yeah. And so I remember like just being like, no, I just, I think just, I'm just not that into climbing. It's just, I just don't like it that much. It's kind of stupid. I just, I just don't like it. And I just, but I stuck with it anyway, because there was this like fun fitness activity, or like this, this, this fitness activity that the three of us could do together. And the other two guys were very into it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm not going to be the person that backs out of this. Like I want to keep doing it. Yeah. So it was sort of team building as well. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And so I didn't want to give it up. And so I just kept doing it. And after a while, I started getting better at it. And then it turns out I actually really like it. Like <laughs> once I found that I could improve and I wasn't just like stuck at a certain level, I began to really enjoy it. This is a very nice segue to one of your posts, which I guess follows the exact same thing about you like dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came across this before and I didn't know it was yours. But today when I when I found it again, it was uh, it's basically the same story, right? Yeah, well... So I wrote this post because, so I had this experience where when I was younger, I remember trying dancing and just like dancing at parties or whatever. And I just got all these like subtle and sometimes not so subtle messages that I wasn't very good. <laughs> like people would like make a comment or like someone would laugh or whatever, or I, or even I would just decide, I would look at other people and be like, oh, they're way better than I am. And I just, I got this thing. I set a constant in my brain, which was like good at dancing equals false. Mm-hmm. And I just left that there. Good thing you're a Ruby developer where constants mean nothing. <laughs> right. Well, that actually is the moral of the story. Is uh, I did, yeah. Bad at dancing is false. And fr- I froze it and interned it and all that stuff. Anyway, um, so years went by. And if you had asked me at any point during those years, like, are you a good dancer? I would have said, oh, no, no, no. I'm like a terrible dancer. You don't want to see me dance. I'm really bad at it. And then um, I decided, I took like a, Uh, some friends were like, let's go to this like line dancing class. And I was like, well, all right, fine. I'm not going to be good at this, but okay. And I went to the class. And as the class progressed, I was like, you know, I'm a terrible dancer, but I swear I'm picking this up like a little faster than the other people here. Mm-hmm. Like this like this thing feels like a little easier. And uh, the next time I, I went to another one, I went to a second class and like halfway through someone goes, you must have done this before. And I was like, no, this is my my, my second class. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, and And so it started to dawn on me and I was like, maybe I'm not a bad dancer. And like the more I got into it, it was like, actually, no, like I, I think I'm like kind of like decent. I'm, I'm reasonably above average at this skill. And it made me kind of step back and think like, okay, I, tr- I, I set this variable in my head. I set this constant or whatever in my head so long ago and I never re-examined it. But like, since I, I, I decided I was bad at dancing, I like, went through puberty. I did a ton of sports. I like just learned how to use my body better in general. I was like, I'm much more athletic now than when I was younger. And so like there was this outdated thing in my head that was just kind of stuck there. And I wrote this post because I, the, the wider realization for me was like, there's probably a lot of things like that. Like what variables have you cached a long time ago that are no longer true? And there's especially good ones to think about where you had like a kind of traumatic experience a long time ago. So like I, when I was directing that chorus or assistant directing that chorus, mm-hmm. I would get these guys in my, jo- joining the chorus who were like 60. 
And they'd be like, just so you know, like I'm a really bad singer. And I'd be like, okay. And I would do like a voice lesson with them. And like, they were a totally fine singer. And I'd be like, why do you think you're a bad singer? And they'd be like, well, when I was in third grade, the teacher told me not to sing in the concert because I was so bad. And so this person who was like 10 at the time or nine yeah. was just stored that variable in their head. And then they didn't re-examine it until they were 60. Hmm. And if you'd ask them at any point in between, like, how are you at singing? They would say, I'm terrible at singing. And it just wasn't true. And it, like, I, I wrote this post because I was like, I, we, we all need to think about this. This is really important. Yeah, no, that, I, I agree. And it's, um, I mean, it's a very nice parallel to the, to the rock climbing, right? Mm -hmm. it, was, it was the same for you, I guess. Yeah. So sometimes like, you, there's, a, there's an experience where someone tells you something, like, oh, you're bad at something. And you just like, say, okay, that must be true. It must be true forever. Uh, surely I will never change. And then there's the like, oh, like doing this thing made me feel a little uncomfortable. And so it must be bad. I must not like it. Yeah, it's also, I don't know how to express it nicely, but like there's a, this first hump and you maybe have problems in the beginning and you are like a slow learner at the beginning just because you don't grasp one concept. I guess that's like very um, true with programming or mathematics or stuff like that where everything builds upon prior knowledge. Yeah. And if you, if you miss like one block and you really grasp with getting that block, you might think, oh, I'm not good at it. But like as soon as you grasp that one, everything else then maybe it gets like much easier and much faster so it's it's maybe a thing there as well that's similar totally yeah this this skill and i think it's a skill of being comfortable with being bad at something for a while and accepting that you're not going to know it all and it's not going to feel natural or normal mm -hmm. i think is really an important skill to work on for all of us all the time because everything good everything interesting is going to be kind of painful and uncomfortable at first. And the most natural response in the world is to go just to flee from that discomfort and come up with a very plausible sounding excuse about how you didn't actually like like rock climbing anyway, <laughs> how those grapes were sour anyway. <laughs> and avoiding that I think is is you don't have to, but I think you can have a much more interesting life if you do it. Yeah. No, yeah, I I agree. And um speaking of life experiences, um I know you write a journal. Mhm. Mm And I know you also wrote uh, an app for it, uh, like Trail Mix, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, do you yep. still maintain that? Do you write there? Do you have something else? Like where do you do your journaling? Yeah, no, I do my journaling using Trail Mix, which is that app that I wrote. And I, I like it because it's, it's the only kind of journal I've been able to keep, which is via email. Mm -hmm. So it uh, emails me every day and says like, how was your day? And if you respond to that email, it adds that entry for that day. And so it's kind of like there's like a ping every day in my inbox to like remember to do it. And I actually... I only respond to maybe 20% of them. Oh. Uh, but yeah, uh, but it, it, still, it still works. Like turns out 20% over five years is a ton of journal entries. Uh, but like, it's like whenever I'm just not feeling it or nothing's interesting to report, I just archive that email and just move on with my day. Uh, and it's no big deal. And do you ever read back what you, what you wrote? Oh, constantly. Yeah, so the, so the, the nice thing about Trailmix uh, is that it sends you a previous entry chosen at random in each of those prompt emails. So uh, it's kind of like uh, bait to get you to open the email. Mm -hmm. So like I will almost always read the email because like it will pull something from my history. And now I have like many, many years of entries now. And so it's like stuff I have completely forgotten will just pop up. <laughs> uh, and so like, oh, that's a cool entry from, you know, 2013. And then I'm like, do I want to write another one? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but whatever. I, I had that interesting like kind of moment of reflection anyway. Yeah, that's... Uh that's interesting. I'm not there yet. I just recently started journaling. Mm -hmm. um, but 
for now I do it every day, so I don't know how long I'll be able to to keep with that. But uh, there's an um, to do app for for um, iOS called Dew D U E, mm-hmm. um, which has this amazing function that it just keeps bothering you until you complete it. So every five minutes you're gonna get a new notification and then a new one and then a new one for that same item. Mm. So until you complete it, it's gonna bother you. Mm. And for stuff like this, I find it really, really useful. Nice, yeah, that sounds good. For, for anything like that that has to be done and like you're just naturally wanna postpone it, this, this thing is really good. Cool. One other thing, um, which I don't know, maybe it was like at the end of your career for sort of better word at, at uh, ThoughtBot mm-hmm. was the codecation. Um, can you like shortly explain the, the concept and are you, are you still practicing that? Totally. So codecation is kind of like a vacation where you go somewhere, but instead of uh, touring around as a tourist most of the time, you instead uh, write code most of the time and ship an interesting project that you had on your brain, like trying a new language out or uh, building a small product and launching it or something like that. And I came up with the idea uh, with my friend Chris Hunt, and we did our first codecation in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. and we both wanted to uh, learn ClojureScript, and so we wrote a bunch of ClojureScript and, and shipped some interesting little things in that. Uh, and since then, we've done a couple other codecations uh, where we've built, uh, ended up building SaaS, like small SaaS products, including Trailmix, which we talked about earlier. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's great, by the way. I recommend people try it out. Uh, I wrote a post about this on the ThoughtBot blog years ago, giving you sort of the basic outline. And uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like 60% of people hear that, like developers are like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> oh my God, I would never write code on vacation. Like, what a loser you are. And then like 20% of people are kind of like, oh, that sounds awesome. Like, I totally get it. So, I mean, like, take normal vacations, like, if that's what you want. Uh, but at, at the time, like, I had all these things I wanted to try and do that I w- didn't do at work. And, like, to me, a vacation with a bunch of code in it was actually great. I, was, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, I, I still I actually haven't done one for a little while. They've been, we've been kind of on hiatus for a little bit. Uh, but I, I could definitely see myself doing uh, one pretty soon. I, I would imagine, like, Tuple starting like that as well. But I, I guess it didn't. Tuple is like a permanent codecation. <laughs> We're just always working on this, this thing. Yeah, so if 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 work is a vacation, you know you're doing it right. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's honestly it's more it's I'm having more fun doing this than than basically any job I've done, <laughs> and I've had some really great jobs. So it's that's saying something. And what's your role in in this? Like, what do you what do you code or what do you do? Uh, I don't code at all, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, so all three of us are technical, and in the beginning, we all three of us were writing code, and then we kind of realized uh, uh, that this was not the optimal approach. Um, so this is a classic way that like dev created startups fail, I think, is that they focus all on, they all do what they are like most comfortable with and they don't think at all about sales or marketing. Mm -hmm. And so since I came to the table with a bit of an audience already and some, some like marketing knowledge, it was, uh, we decided like I should focus, Ben should focus on sales and marketing while the other two guys are writing code. And that's what we've been doing for a while now. And that is working really well. So two people is enough uh, in my mind, uh, on the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing code uh, and i am just trying to make sure like we have people know what we're doing um i make sure that i'm appearing on podcasts and talking about our company um i make sure that we have a mailing list and a twitter account and all the stuff and that like when the product is ready uh, we will launch to a big audience do you have like a rough timeline of uh, when do you plan to go out with the first version 
Yes, actually. So uh, the alpha of Tuple is going to launch January 7th. And the alpha is actually a small group that I recruited. Uh, it's a paid alpha. So it's the actual customers. People have paid us for the privilege of being in the alpha, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, and so we're going to launch with them. And I don't know how long the alpha will last. Uh, probably some number of months as we work out like the kinks and make the product better and roll in the feedback and all that. And eventually it will feel complete enough that we're going to start doing like a small private beta where I'll probably be inviting, you know, a handful of teams at a time <laughs> to use the product. I think we will be in private beta for a long time. I think this will be a thing where we are launching slowly in small batches so that we can give each new cohort a bunch of attention so that we can be really responsive and so that we can make sure like we're scaling effectively. Mm -hmm. And do you have an idea for how you would do pricing? Like with per person, per team, per just fixed? Very likely per seat. Mm -hmm. That's what I've been, that's what I've, how I've charged our alpha people so far. And I think that's how we will do it going forward. Uh, so, you know, a certain, like, a certain amount per year or per month per person that wants to use the thing. But I think um, we will have a pricing model where only one person in a tuple pairing session needs to be paid. Mm -hmm. So if you have, have a, a paid license, then you can pair with anyone you want to. Got it, yeah. Um, that doesn't need to pay for it. I think that's what we're going to do. Well, I mean, you have time for experimentation before the, the alpha part is over and private beta and all that. For sure. Yep, so that's that's why I'm, I'm waffling a little bit because I, I, <laughs> I can't commit to that quite yet. How do habits for programmers or habits for hackers um, like tie in into this? It's actually not habits for hackers as, as a side hustle for me. Oh, okay, it's your personal thing. It is, yeah. Oh, okay, and uh, so yeah, habits for hackers is a course that I'm going to be running early next year. And uh, to be fully honest, it's kind of just like a uh, runway extension project, basically, where it's like, hey, you know what? Help us continue to work on this is some income. Uh, so I'm just, uh, but it's this idea that I've had for a while of a one month course where we are all working on building really good habits. So I think it's your habits that make you, uh, good over time. And, uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits came out recently uh, and it's excellent. And so I was like, how do we apply this to programming? And, um, that's, so I'm, I'm working on that course and, uh, booting it up pretty soon. Interesting. And are you going to be focusing more on the actual like development or just how, how can you improve your skills that are development related or do you have any idea where, where the focus will be? I do. So there are four key habits that I think are most important and that's what we're going to work on. So the first one is accomplishing deep work every day. And by deep work, uh, I mean things like deep, uninterrupted, focused uh, development work each day. So I think everyone has had days where they felt like they never got in the zone and they didn't get that much done. And days where they were like, wow, it's five o'clock already. Mm -hmm. And we want more of the, la the latter. Mm -hmm. yeah, so obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the first habit is like, how do you get yourself in that zone? How do you protect your time and your schedule so that you can get in there more reliably? Uh, so like, let's, let's practice that. The second is protecting our bodies. So programming is not physical labor, but it definitely takes a toll. Uh, like the RSI that I mentioned, like mm -hmm. just even sitting all day, it's just like kind of brutal on your body. And so there's like some maintenance you have to do. Uh, so that you don't fall apart and be in chronic pain. So working on that. Uh, the third is sort of like the most dev focused, which is like actually optimizing your workflows. So like how well do you use your current tools? How often are you learning new things about those tools or experimenting with a new one? And the final one is building an audience, which I've touched on a couple times now, but I, I think it's important for pretty much everyone to be working to build at least a small audience of people that like and trust you. And so you should do a little bit of that all the time. Yes, that sounds that sounds very interesting. Thanks. I do believe um, 
not many, like especially this last one, building an audience has some sort of negative connotation for some reason. Like people mm. don't want to be too, I don't know, too public or too whatever. But I think at least yeah, on in my personal experience, like it opens so many doors mm-hmm. um, and and there are really no no negative um, consequences. Yeah, it's it's so useful. I mean, just, just having this habit of trying to work in public a decent amount and like slowly collect a group of people uh, in my world has been just so useful. And the thing is, like, an audience can be small. Like, if, if someone is turned off by the idea of tweeting a lot or blogging or speaking or whatever, you can build an audience within a company. Mm-hmm. Like, even if, like, this could just be, like, you should give a five-minute lightning talk over lunch someday to your coworkers so that they know you're smart and know a bunch about this topic A. Um, it can be as small as that, for sure. Like, an audience doesn't have to be, like, thousands of people. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, as we are nearing the the end of this show, um, I always have the same question at the end, and this is, um, what would be three books or three articles or like YouTube videos or whatever, like three things that you could recommend to the listeners that made like a lasting impression on you or that like change your life or whatever, like three three main things. Mm. Um, so one is an a uh, post by Seth Godin, which is. I think the title is The World's Worst Boss. Uh, and uh, the the first line is something like, the world's worst boss, that would be you. <laughs> if someone talks to you the way you talk to yourself, uh, you would quit immediately. And it goes on from there. I think that's, that's a really good one. Um, Atomic Habits, which I touched on earlier, I think is a great book. Habits, I think, are so, so, so powerful. And James Clear has done a really nice job of coming up with a system for altering bad ones and adding new ones. I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would. I guess I'm going to plug another book, I suppose, which is Deep Work by mm-hmm. uh, Cal Fussman, I think, it is, or Cal Newport, uh, which is I touched on Deep Work earlier, and it's it's about it's about that. It's like how do you get into that zone more often? How do you how do you get more good stuff done each day? Great. That's uh, yeah, all all three good ones. Thanks. Thank you, Ben, for for your time. Thank you for for being a guest. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I enjoy. This is I like uh, the wide range of topics we got into. Yeah, it was <laughs> all over the place. But like, you do a lot of things, so you know, a lot of things to cover. <laughs> it's it's true. Anyway, yeah. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye. All right. This was my interview with Ben. I would love if you would share this podcast with your friends and followings. Send them a message, a tweet, or a Facebook post. You want them to listen to a good podcast, right? If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you would truly make my day if you post a review there. I get a lot of DMs, but no one else sees them. Reviews are there for everyone to see, and they help other people discover good shows. If you use a different app like Breaker, Overcast, or anything that supports liking or favoriting, I'd appreciate your action there as well. You can also support this podcast with your hard-earned money, so I would invite you to do so by visiting patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D. Or open the show notes in your podcast app and follow the Patreon link there. Thank you. You can find this show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at PurposePod on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website, parallelpassion.com slash 19. Thank you for listening and have a passionate day.